Hello, friends. Welcome back to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden. Each week, we come together to dissect the little rituals that make us feel safe. We search for luck in clover fields, hop over cracks in the sidewalk, and run from black cats. But when faced with a situation outside our control, we cross our fingers and hope for a good outcome. That's the superstition we're discussing today. Crossing your fingers is so common, so routine, you probably do it without thinking. When your teacher passes out results to an exam you've already taken. At the bottom of the ninth, when your best friend is up to bat. When you're waiting for that last lottery number and hoping it's your own. You know you can't influence the results directly, but you've got to do something. So, you cross your fingers. It's a quick gesture, so small no one around would notice. A private wish, a prayer, a plea. A petition to whoever might be watching. God, fate, the universe, saying, please, if you've got any luck to spare, I know someone who could use it. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, we'll explore how an ancient clandestine symbol became one of the world's most recognized gestures. Crossing fingers is so ubiquitous today that it's easy to overlook all the different ways we use it. To wish for a good outcome, simply wrap your middle finger around your index. Flash this gesture to a friend and you're either wishing them luck or asking them to wish you luck. On the schoolyard, crossed fingers have more practical uses. Who can forget crossing your fingers behind your back to excuse a white lie or nullify a promise? If you crossed your fingers, it didn't count. And crossed fingers can make promises just as well as break them. A pinky promise requires crossing your little finger with another person's to form an extra sacred oath. And that's just scratching the surface. Some theories claim that long before it was used to wish for luck or make and break promises, crossing your fingers had a far more clandestine purpose. One that could be the difference between life and death. The 1st and 2nd century CE was a period of great danger for members of the early Christian church. Historians disagree over just how extensive Roman persecution of Christians really was, mostly because anyone writing about it at the time was firmly on one side or the other. But at least one Roman Caesar, the Emperor Nero, was pretty aggressive in his attempts to quash the spread of the fledgling religion which meant that Christians were forced to meet and worship in secret. Supposedly, they developed secret hand gestures to communicate. Crossing your fingers may have been a reference to Christ's death on the cross and a clandestine way of telling someone you were a Christian. If they returned the sign, it meant they were in the club too. If they gave you a funny look, well, probably time to get out of Dodge. As Christianity became a more powerful cultural force, the need for secrecy fell away, but the symbol stuck around. 
During the Middle Ages, it evolved into a way of invoking God's protection, or if you'd been naughty, his forgiveness. Legends say that crossing your fingers became popular in Britain during the Hundred Years' War when archers would cross their fingers as they drew their bowstrings. The gesture was a double-sided prayer. Let my aim be true and forgive me, Lord, for what I do. I'll stress again that these are all theories, based more on legend than historical record. What's clear is that crossing fingers has undergone quite an evolution. From a secret symbol to a way of asking for aid and forgiveness, we always seem to use it in times of need. Perhaps that's why this symbol is so enduring, because whether you're an archer on the battlefield or a kid on the playground, everyone knows what it's like to be in over their head. Chapter 1 Lie. Aaron slid his hand into his fiancée's steps as they looked over the playground. She smiled at him. They were both so happy to see Aaron's daughter Rhody and Steph's son Mark finally getting along. The lanky eight-year-old boy towered over his soon-to-be stepsister, but they were having fun despite the four-year age difference. Until they weren't. Aaron snapped to attention at the sound of his daughter's scream. Rhody had lunged at Mark and was furiously pounding on his chest. The older boy was shouting and trying to shove her off him to no avail. The parents were on their feet and across the playground in an instant. Aaron wrenched Rhody off of Mark, catching a few wayward punches as he lifted her into the air. Tears streamed down her bright red cheeks. What happened? Steph demanded. Mark pointed at Rhody. She attacked me! She's crazy! It took a moment for Rhody to calm down enough to explain herself. When she did, the answer came in short, hiccupy spurts. Apparently, Mark had informed Rhody that their parents could only afford one kid and that since Mark was the oldest, they had decided to keep him. Rhody would be shipped off to a boarding school in Timbuktu after Aaron and Steph's wedding next month. Rhody... No one's sending you anywhere. Your dad and I love you, Steph promised. Mark, apologize to your sister for lying. But I didn't lie, Mark protested. I crossed my fingers. Steph let out an exasperated groan. Three weeks ago, one of Mark's classmates had explained that if you crossed your fingers when you told a lie or made a promise, it didn't count and you couldn't get in trouble. Mark had been making full use of this newfound power ever since, and no amount of lectures or groundings from Steph had been able to make him stop. Aaron glanced at his fiancée. Steph's forehead was sporting an unusually prominent vein. Her nostrils were flaring, all the telltale signs of an imminent eruption. Steph was normally unflappable, one of the things Aaron loved about her. But everyone had their limit and the last few weeks had gotten Steph to hers. Wedding planning was hard. Blending families was harder. Doing them both at the same time? Well, Aaron wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy. I can't believe you, Steph hissed through gritted teeth. Aaron interrupted. Can't believe you'd waste crossed fingers on a lie. Everyone stared at him because they've got much better uses. 
Did you know that if you really want something good to happen, you can cross your fingers and wish for it? Mark scowled. That never works. Sure it does. You probably just need more oomph, Aaron insisted. Sometimes, just crossing your fingers isn't enough. That's why I developed the triple cross for important situations. Look. Aaron set Rody down on the mulch. Her tears had stopped now, and she watched, fascinated, as Aaron crossed the fingers of his left hand, then his right, then crossed his arms in front of him. Then he crossed his legs at the knees so that he teetered precariously. Rody giggled. I've been working on an even more powerful version, but it's still in the prototype phase. What do you think? Aaron wiggled his ears and stuck out his tongue, making a show of twisting it around in an effort to tie a knot. Now Rody and Mark were both rolling with laughter. Even Steph was grinning. Quick! While it's activated, what should I wish for? Mark's eyes lit up. A dog! He shrieked. Steph's grin evaporated. Fortunately, Rody was already jumping up and down and shouting, Ice cream! Ice cream! Aaron threw back his head, wiggled his ears and shouted, I wish for ice cream! Chapter 2. Packed. Thirty minutes and four heaping ice cream cones later, Aaron, Steph, Mark and Rody piled out of the car and into the house. Steph's eyes twinkled as she kissed Aaron on the cheek. Impressive work today, mister. I don't want to count my chickens, but I think you might have just beaten Mark's lying obsession. Aaron shrugged mischievously and held up his hand, fingers crossed. As Steph headed upstairs, Aaron went to deposit the last of the ice cream in the freezer. He was just entering the kitchen when Mark and Rody darted through on their way to the backyard. You guys having fun? Aaron called. Rody was already outside, but Mark froze in the doorway. He turned to face Aaron, fixing him with a blank stare. It happened so suddenly that Aaron thought Mark was having some kind of fit. The eight-year-old boy's arms shot up. He crossed the fingers of both hands, crossed his arms in front of him, crossed his legs, stuck out his tongue, wiggled his ears, and went cross-eyed. Mark held the pose for five seconds before dropping it. He gave Aaron a knowing smirk and headed out into the backyard. Aaron still hadn't moved when Steph called down from upstairs. Aaron, can you bring Ray his engraver? I finished the last of the table settings yesterday. No prob, Aaron called back, still watching Mark and Rody through the window. It only took a few minutes to lug the heavy wood engraver out of the garage and carry it next door. The gate was open, so Aaron followed the smell of cooking meat into the backyard. Ray Marston had lived next to Steph since she was small. Aaron had been intimidated by him at first, but the man had soon proved to be a great ally and excellent cookout partner. Aaron found him at the smoker, tongs in one hand and beer in the other. He grinned and waved Aaron over. Just leave the engraver on the porch. I'll box it up later. You want a beer? You look like you could use one. Aaron's eyes drifted to the open cooler. Before he could respond, Ray slapped himself on the forehead. Oh, jeez, sorry, man. I forgot about Steph's drinking thing. I get it, though. I mean, after Craig, I'd probably give up the sauce, too. 
Steph's drinking thing was a very clear, very firm no-alcohol policy. On their first date, she had told Aaron that she insisted on a dry household, and it hadn't taken him long to learn why. Her first husband had been killed in an accident with a drunk driver. Steph had shouldered the tragedy with such grace, Aaron thought giving up alcohol was the least he could do. He thought it would be easy. He'd only been a social drinker before anyway. But the stress of wedding planning, exacerbated by the challenges of blending their two families, had left Aaron wishing for a drink on more than a few nights. The longing must have shown on his face because Ray gave him a pitying look. He reached down into the cooler, fished out a beer, and held it out to Aaron. Then again, what Steph doesn't know won't hurt her, right? And we're not driving anywhere. Go on. You look like you could use something to take the edge off. Aaron eyed the beer. He glanced at his watch. Steph had been just about to get in the shower. That was enough time to finish one can. You know what? Yeah, just if it's between us. Aaron had forgotten how soothing the smell of hops could be when the day was hot and the grill was going. He took a long sip, savoring the bubbles on his tongue. It was a light beer, but floral, exactly the kind of thing you'd want to drink on the beach. He sighed deeply. Then he saw Mark and Rody looking through a gap in the fence. He dropped the beer to the grass and rushed into his yard, but his daughter and stepson had already run into the house. He caught up with them in the kitchen. Hey guys, where are you going? He asked, desperately praying that they hadn't seen the beer. Rody's wide-eyed expression shattered any hope of that. She looked as if she'd been personally betrayed. But Mark's expression was one of sheer triumph. You broke your promise to my mum, he said gleefully. She's going to be so angry. Aaron rambled a torrent of not very convincing excuses, things about adults having adult reasons for things that kids probably couldn't understand. In the end, Mark's expression hadn't changed one bit. Look, I didn't break my promise, Aaron said in a last desperate explanation. I, I, I crossed my fingers. Mark didn't miss a beat. My mom said that doesn't count. Aaron cursed under his breath. Right, of course it doesn't. But did I tell you about the other use for crossing fingers besides wishing? You can also use it to make a pact. See, you wrap your pinky finger around someone else's pinky finger like this. Aaron hooked Rody's pinky with his right hand and Mark's with his left. And then you make a promise. Like, you two promise not to tell mommy about what you saw and I promise to do something for you. Something like, like, like get us a dog, Mark supplied. Aaron paled. He started to protest, but one look at Mark's face told him that this was the best deal he was going to get. Like, get you a dog, Aaron conceded. You don't tell mommy, I get you a dog. Deal? Rody squealed with delight and they all agreed. Not a moment later, Steph swept into the room, drying her hair with a towel. What are you guys talking about? 
she asked. Aaron dropped the kids' pinkies and stood a bit too quickly. Just talking about how great that ice cream was. Right, Mark? Mark looked thoughtful. Then he grinned at Aaron. That's right, he said, moving his hand behind his back. We were talking about ice cream. Coming up, Aaron struggles to keep his end of the bargain. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals, like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own, or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Chapter 3 Wish. It was two weeks to the wedding, and Aaron had never been more stressed. There were last-minute decorations to finish, the seating charts to finalize for the fourth time, and a new DJ to book because the first one had dropped out. Which was nothing next to the fact that Aaron was being blackmailed by his future stepson. And even worse, he was late making the payment. Aaron had known convincing Steph to get the kids a dog wouldn't be easy, but he thought it would be possible. Steph had a lot of concerns. Shedding, mess, the danger to Rhodey because she was so small. Oh, and the fact that the wedding was two weeks away. Aaron had already asked Mark if they could delay, commit to getting the dog within a year. That had been a no-go. Now... Steph wouldn't hear one more word about a dog, and Mark was losing patience. Every time the boy opened his mouth, Aaron flinched, certain his engagement would be doomed by whatever the kids said. On the day of his scheduled wedding haircut, Aaron jumped at the chance for a few minutes of solitude. He sat in the chair, staring at his weary reflection in the mirror. Then the barber leaned down and politely informed him that some of his hair was falling out. She showed him the patch. After the haircut, he headed straight to the pound. They showed him dozens of dogs. There was even one that was hypoallergenic, which would assuage Steph's concerns about shedding. He left the pound empty-handed. This had gotten out of hand. It had just been a beer, one measly beer. Yes, Steph had told him it was her one rule. Yes, he had agreed. And then he'd lied and made their kids lie and promised to get them a dog without asking her. Yes, he'd done all that, but it was just a beer. Steph would understand. She had to. It was time to fess up. And he would have, truly, 
had he not arrived home to find a dog in the living room. It was a mangy thing, more mats than curls. Aaron stared at it in shock, trying to understand where it had come from. Had the universe taken pity on him and delivered the one thing he desperately needed? Or had the stress of the wedding and his blackmailing stepson finally driven him to hallucination? He heard footsteps on the stairs, followed by shrieks of delight. Mark and Rhody rushed into the room and threw their arms around the dog, which responded with aggressive, wet licks to each of their faces. Aaron still could only stare. Then he heard a door open and shut behind him. An instant later, Steph was by his side, staring at the dog with the same look of confusion. Steph, I, I swear, I don't know where it came from, Aaron stammered. Steph turned to face him, her expression incredulous. You don't know where it came from? Then she grinned. Well, what was I supposed to do? It was me against the three of you. Besides, like you said... A dog will help us bond as a family. That's the whole idea here, right? She took his hand and kissed him. Aaron shook his head. He still couldn't believe his luck. Chapter 4 Absolution It was evening. The sky was a swirl of navy and orange as the smell of smoking pork butt wafted over Ray's fence. Aaron sat on the back patio watching Mark and Rody chase bugs around the yard. Bugs as in bunny. Aaron had lost the vote three to one. Mark was trying to teach bugs to play catch, but so far the dog had shown no interest in the tennis ball. Mark kept throwing it though back and forth across the yard. Eventually, it rolled to a stop a few feet from Aaron. Mark ran over to grab it and when he straightened up, their eyes met. Mark smiled. Not the cruel, knowing smile Aaron knew. It was genuine. Happy. Hey, let me ask you something, said Aaron. You remember that day a few weeks ago we went to the park and got ice cream? We were in the kitchen afterward and you... You did the triple cross. Crossed your fingers and arms and legs, even your eyes. I was impressed. But I was wondering, what did you wish for? Mark's smile faded. I just wish things would get better, that I'd get what I wanted. Aaron frowned. What did you want? Mark thought again, then said firmly, I wanted you never to be my dad. Before Aaron could respond, Steph emerged from the house bearing pints of ice cream. Rody raced over and soon the whole family was enjoying dessert and watching the sunset. Except for Aaron, of course. He was watching Mark out of the corner of his eye. He hardly even noticed when Rody leaned back against him. She sighed with satisfaction as she examined her empty bowl. Ah, this really takes the edge off, right, Daddy? Steph looked at Rody. What do you mean, sweetheart? Rody shrugged. I don't know. That's just what Mr. Marston said when they were drinking beer together. It was as if the bottom of the world dropped out. Aaron's chest tightened. His mind was already racing for an explanation, but his eyes met Steph's, and he knew it wouldn't do any good. 
they argued most of the night. In the end, it came down to this. Aaron only drank one beer, but Steph only had one rule. And so, come morning, Aaron loaded up his car, then buckled Rhody into her car seat. Her face was sorrowful, her voice quivering as she asked, Daddy, did I mess up? No, no, said Aaron. This is Daddy's fault. I just... I shouldn't have asked you to swear. But you do need to keep your promises in the future, okay? Rhodey looked at him, confused. I didn't break my promise, though. Aaron barely managed to hide his irritation. You did, though, Rhodey. You swore not to tell. Rhodey shook her head. But it didn't count. I crossed my fingers. With the prominence of Christianity in Western culture, perhaps it's not surprising that the most common interpretations of this superstition involve Christian iconography. But crosses held significance for many ancient cultures long before the time of Christ. The solar cross, a circle with a cross at the center, is thought to be one of the oldest symbols in the world, dating back to at least the Bronze Age. It reportedly had many meanings but was usually a symbol of completeness and strength. Some early cultures may have made wishes on the center of the cross as a way of warding off evil. We can see this idea of the cross as a protective amulet in later versions of the crossed fingers superstition. Some say if you wish to obtain God's forgiveness for a lie, you must keep them crossed until you go to confession. You're essentially holding off the evil until you can banish it with something more powerful. While there are countless nuances to this superstition, they all seem to involve acknowledging or invoking a higher power. So whether you're looking for luck, protection, or forgiveness, crossing your fingers is a prayer, a sign of humility, a gesture of deference to a power greater than yourself. And in a way, that places it in stark contrast to many of the luck-based talismans we've studied on this show. Items like lucky rabbit's feet and horseshoes often give us a sense of control over the uncontrollable. But when we wrap our middle finger around our pointer, we acknowledge that we're not in control of the outcome. We don't have all the answers. We need help. All we can do is cross our fingers and hope for the best. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. 
Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Superstitions was written by Lil Deritta and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petras. I'm Alastair Murden. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify. Spotify.